Guys, welcome to Raise Stakes. Really glad you're here. Thanks for coming on the pod. So as you know, we have a core philosophy here, which is that we believe that people should pursue their passions and they should step outside of the comfort zone and control their own destiny and they should back themselves. And you are two people that have absolutely done that. And I I know you both well and I, I'm absolutely intoxicated by your story. And so I'm so glad you're here. So before we get into the crux of some of the cool stuff that you're doing, and I know it's a particularly exciting time for you with some mega launches happening, but start off with tell me a little bit about yourself. Imagine we're on a first date. Jenny, what do you do? I've had a very strange path after graduation in terms of after graduating, I I had a year working for a publishing company. Um, what did you do there? In distribution, circulation, subscriptions, okay. um, and so a bit kind of like sales stuff, or a bit of marketing, more okay. marketing related, and uh, circulation logistics of getting our um, the publications out. And then I I always had the idea of traveling and seeing the world, so I moved away for three years. Where'd you go? I I ended up going to South Korea for two years, um, Taiwan for one. And that was a big life experience, I guess. And that, as much as I enjoyed those experiences, I think it was not related to what I wanted to be doing. I was teaching. Okay, um, teaching English. Teaching English. Okay, cool. Yeah. And when I decided to come back to London, it was thinking about what I wanted to be doing. And I've always been fascinated by business, um, my degrees in business. So it was always something I I knew I wanted to go back and do something um but I was very open because I had so my interest in business is varied so I ended up working in marketing um for a more established company but that made me realize that in a way it was too I, I don't know if the right word is small but it was in terms of what I was doing it was just marketing within a department and I wanted to learn more about how a business, what it takes to run a business. Yeah. Um, that's why moving to a startup appealed to me. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's attractive. Did you, when, so when you were doing that role, yeah. I think that's something that I think most people can really understand is that when you're, when you're traveling and you're on the road and you're, in, you're absolutely in these <coughs> crazily different environment. I'd never been in South Korea, but I imagine it's quite different. Yes. I mean, in some ways, because I lived in Seoul, it was big, bustling city, just like London. So it was perfect for me. Did you know you didn't want to stay there? Did you really like, this is obviously not where I want this to be long term? I knew it wouldn't be long term, but the reason I left after two years was, in a way, it felt too comfortable. I mean, it's, you, you're, you know, however many miles away from home. Um, but... The, maybe it was the job and again knowing that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing but it was something I could carry on doing that you mm. know salary was really good for living in 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 Korea everything was very comfortable but um I knew I mean London you know opportunities it's almost endless yeah and I think it felt I, I would have felt a bit more restricted um in a place like Seoul, even though, like I said, it is, it's probably a bigger city in terms of population than London. We'll say, yeah, I mean, I don't know the stats. I mean, Brian will know them off by heart, yeah, but I don't, I don't I'll, know. I'll prefer to Google. 
<laughs> the so that's I think that's really interesting, and I think the the fact that you've moved into marketing, yes, y- it's weird, isn't it? Because like you're there and you're like, look, I want to get into business. You're like just just kind of that general feel, isn't it? It's like I want to be. I guess you you probably had heroes just like anyone else. You know, like uh, my heroes are people like uh, Elon Musk and Jeffrey Bezos, and you look at them and you're like, you know what? No, I, oh, it I wasn't them. I never had heroes. Oh, really? No. So I mean. You, Outside of business, um, I was I'm a massive Arsenal fan, so my heroes oh. were probably were probably footballers well, <laughs> than anything. It's a, a, a nice story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. interesting. Um, as a rule, we don't talk about football on the pod because oh, it's not, not a real sport, but rugby uh, is. Oh, so if you oh, want to chat, wow. about, chat about rugby, we, we can argue day. about that all day. <laughs> so so you um, okay? So I I think there's actually there's um, I actually think there's a real parity between teaching and marketing, and I think it's because you, if you're you're constantly conveying a message to someone, trying to teach someone to understand something complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so naturally, I'm. it's no surprise to me that you moved into marketing because you're doing the same thing. You're just doing yeah. it to a wider audience. Although that probably wasn't, I didn't see I didn't see the pattern or anything. It was, the reason why I went into marketing was I've, I always found it fascinating when I was studying it. And when you think about marketing as the way a business communicates um, to whichever audience yeah. is targeting it is the face of of a company and you know studying about all these brands and um, how brands affect everything it's that's the fascination you know that's that's the first thing you see and um, of a company and that's why I was interested in marketing and how you get the word out yeah and I can totally understand why you I, I absolutely agree with that I think it's it is, and it's the. I, I think for a lot of people, it's it's the area where you get to have the most creative flexibility, and so obviously you are. You must be creative by nature, and so you've moved. But then you're like, and I, I love this story, and I think anyone can understand that. The problem we're working in a big corporate, and you get this as much as anyone else, is that you're only looking after a tiny bit, and you're not learning. You need to go into that university of startup, right, where you're like, I'm now going to learn about everything. And so did you? It wasn't. The big man here, who's your first, no, so your first dabble, I, right? So, so I you've worked, got an ex. Yeah, I have an ex. <laughs> we yes. don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I remember them fondly. Um, so when I decided to go and work for a startup, huge risk, by the way. Like if you've got a good gig and you're like, I'm going to go and work for something that I have no idea it's going to work out. Yes, um, I think I never felt scared about taking that jump. It was never. I think not taking it was probably a bigger thing. It would have probably worried me more if I didn't take that jump because I knew um, I wanted to, like I said, learn more about what it takes to run a business and all the different functions. Because, you know, being in marketing, I only knew about the marketing function. And I, I, I wasn't able to even liaise as much with people in different departments to really understand what they did and how that affected the rest of the company and I knew working for a startup especially one that was very early on in in everything and being one of the first employees would mean that I would work very closely with the people who started it um, understand how they work um, you know again what it would take for them to start this thing and get it you know, grow it and uh, make it successful, hopefully. So it's, it's you know, I could see a massive learning curve. Yeah. And I just wanted to be a part of that. 
I love that. And that's absolutely resonates with everything we do here. Like it's, you back yourself. You were just like, look, yeah. I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to make this work out. You know, I love that. Um, I'm going to come back to that in a minute because the next part of your story, you meet this man. Yes. Okay. I feel like I've been talking too much now. And no, hasn't never, never. This, himself. He's right. I'll talk loads at some point. <laughs> so, so buddy, look, CEO, founder. Yeah. This is your second gig, first gig. Let's call it second gig. So I, I had an interlude, but in a way it, it, um, it doesn't class as startup because it, it doesn't have the scalability that something in tech has. So the journey. So obviously I'm not British. You can tell by the accent. So can oh. come from? No. Yeah, I know. I know. Shocking. <laughs> Shit the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other so long. I had no idea if I'd known. I know. Surprise. So, so where you, where, where's, where's home? Canadian by background. So By background. So does that mean that you are, what does that mean? I mean, you grew up in Canada. I grew up in Canada. Okay. Grew up in Canada. Um, was always involved or had an interest in business um, in the sense of I had early kind of internships in larger companies, but I always felt boxed in. I, I asked too many why questions, and it's not good if you're... No. You know what I mean. I know. So I never really got... I felt frustrated that I wasn't getting exposure to the actual problem that was being solved. I was given a very small package which needed to be uh, solved, and this is why... I had an inkling into going towards a startup route. Um, the reason I came over, did a master's degree, but it was immediately connected in with. Why it. did you come over here? What is? I mean, obviously everyone here is better, but like, what was the <laughs> what was the what was the reason that you actually? I I, I wanted to be involved in VC, so I, I got. Oh, you wanted you wanted to go to the dark side to begin with. To begin with, so I. I you thought I, I, actually, I don't need to learn how to run a business? I'll just buy them instead. Kinda. So so I came over. I got into a program, an LLM for venture capital law. Um, met some people who did the program the year before, and they said, well, it's okay, but it'd be better to go to some place with a better reputation, like an LSE or something like this. So I applied to LSE, um, did a, a master's in business strategy, came over and immediately started trying to work on the first startup halfway through the, the course. Do you, do you think that, that that's an interesting question, do you think that um, <clears throat> that education was, uh, that formal education, <clears throat> would you recommend that to other people? Because I, it's, it's interesting because you're a guy who I know is like so, you know, you've lived most of the experiences that most people have been through for a startup. You've lived it and you've done it. Yeah. Were you equipped to that? Like, obviously, Jenny, you're going through the <clears throat> the sort of the in the mud version of that business studies experience, right? You know, you're doing it day to day. Would you say that that is the right way to do it or to do it the sort of the book way first because I don't know there's, what the priorities are there's no right way I mean no. you can see so many different ways of how people find a problem that they decide they want to dedicate into a startup so many different ways of mm. tackling that initial problem in terms of do they is it a marketing led where they find the the very large problem of the industry and they start trying to backwards engineer a solution or do they find a very micro solution and they start building up from there yeah um, is it somebody that's very tech-based and has no idea of sort of finance or VC and they build out from this way or somebody who can approach something more from a business side. I, I don't think there really is a right answer. Um, it's not necessary, but it's helpful in the sense of you can learn things through the, the educational journey that become useful as you're, starting a, as you're starting a startup. So for example, my background is very deep in finance. 
So I'm good at putting together the models, structuring the finance. I understand innately what the VCs are, are on about because that was that was my background. Yeah, so yeah. that part has been quite easy. But I did have the technical background in terms of being able to code. That's the kind of stuff I learned on the job. If I could have done more of that training prior to my first startup, been, it would yeah. have been it would have been much easier. That's interesting. You're um we have a well I have a theory here that every business starts with the a sentence that starts with one of these phrases. Wouldn't it be cool if or wouldn't it be better if? Yeah, that's just how the idea starts. It's usually we're chewing the fat. Jenny and I were having this conversation just the other day. Wouldn't it be cool if we set up a band? Yeah. Yep. Um, we're not going to do it because I'm the better singer. But, um, but we still he, haven't had that. Every yet. one of my startups has become exactly like that. It's the same. It's just wouldn't it be cool if wouldn't yeah. it be better if? Yeah. But you, you, you've, you're creating something quite unique, and I'm really fascinated to understand how did you get into that game? How did you come up with a? How did that conversation start? Like because I find it really interesting how people come to those conclusions you know we we at my company it was a uh, i was on the mat and someone bet me you know and then so we went down that route and um you know uber the guy couldn't get a cab or yep. you know or yep. so on and so forth but how did what you're doing so different like how did that happen after leaving a startup that i was involved with after after the masters um i had set up a health clinic with obviously now, now an ex-girlfriend which is you know what one does <laughs> well was she the founder she had a, I'd, I'd built clinics before. I, I was involved in, in clinics and I wanted to set one. Wouldn't it be cool if we started one? I said, yeah, that's great. Are you, do a, that. are you a clinician by trade? No, my mother's a physician. So okay. I get the kind of health space in general. Okay. And it was supposed to be an interesting little sideshow that ended up that was much harder and much bigger than I anticipated. I think I everyone knows that story, right? Yeah. But um. But yeah, and you made the the decision to get into business with the girlfriend, which I wouldn't do again. Just a bit of takeaway for anyone <laughs> from the very risky, here. very very risky. Wouldn't do it again. Um, adds a lot of pressure onto already pressure, you know, pressurized. I get it. Yeah. I get it. So um, we was a health clinic. We had uh, masseuses, beauticians, chiropractors, osteopaths, and all of the muscular skeletal clinicians needed to take clinical notes every time they saw a patient. So we had file cabinets full of paper, and it just kind of seemed nuts that why was there no tool, given everybody had smartphones and computers, to actually kind of capture this, this kind of clinical notes bedside. So I remember sitting down on the couch in the front, and the clinician was saying, like, wouldn't it be cool if I had an iPad or something like this where I could capture the notes? I thought, actually, this is a great idea. That's the moment what? right there. That's it. This would be a, you know this would be great. It could have it all over medical, all yeah. over uh, the medical space. So we started looking into it. Didn't see anything in the marketplace that existed. Um, I had went back, spoke to some investors that I was connected to previously, raised some seed funding, and got a development team to start building it. So this was outsourced. Wasn't involved in coding or anything myself. You've, you've jumped some really tough bits there, like just washed over them. <laughs> like wow. I mean, but that's really interesting. Like so. I, <laughs> Yeah, I love that. You've had that. Wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm so interested in about this. What do you do next, right? Because ideas are ten a penny, right? You and I, we could be walking down the stairs in a minute, and you will have an idea, okay? But I know that you're, as you said earlier, you're not a coder. Yeah. You know, you're a guy who runs at the moment clinics, okay? Yep. And you're like, wouldn't it be cool if I did this? Like, 
where do you go? So for someone who's listening right now, they're like, I've got this really cool idea, but I'm a sales guy. Yep. I've got this really cool idea or, you know, I'm a, I'm an artist. Yep. You're like, and then you were just like, oh, I just got a technical team. Like, how does that even happen? Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. So the How do you raise between... money with that before you've even got, you've got, like, you've just got an idea? Yep. Damn, that's so, tough. So this is the, the most awkward part of the startup journey, taking something out of your head, which you kind it's not even necessarily crystallized but you you have an idea of something which you think you could put together nobody else in the outside world gets it even when you describe it to them trust me what they have in their head is not what you have in your head for me it's all about trying to reduce the gap of ima imagination what can i start to scratch together that i can then communicate outside of myself into some type of product or vision or idea so for me it's it's starting to put together what it looks like just scratches on a piece of paper this is kind of how it should start to work and look like so it, it was about visualizing this even if it doesn't work people start to get an idea and somebody else can start to input against that so i started trying to draw out how this thing could work and trying to describe it and i met with some people i knew who could code and started talking about this idea and they started then feeding back how it could be built from a technical perspective and then we started being able to bounce the idea back and forth. So now it was an idea which was out of my mind and doing everything I could to reduce the gap of imagination to make it clear for somebody else to be able to participate in. And then together, the idea started to evolve. So this was a, a, an outside development team. So it wasn't, we didn't hire coders internally. This was somebody else who was supposed to build that initial first, first specification. Um, with those two things together, it became tangible enough that I could describe it to somebody from an investment side, which was, I've got this idea, we would use it in a clinic, I'm speaking to somebody else who is a clinician who recognizes the problem, I think this could be an idea, this is a group that would build it, this is what it looks like. I love that, and that's absolutely, you're, you're nailing it right there, you're like, this is the problem I'm solving, this is what it would do, this is the outcome, this is why I'm doing this. I love that approach, and then you found it, and you were like, and you used a phrase there, which I really loved, which was, you were trying to, I'm going to paraphrase this really badly, and you're going to say it much better in your sexy Canadian accent, <laughs> that you're trying to bridge the gap between imagination and reality. Yeah, it was like reducing the gap of imagination. I don't know where I came up with this term from, but it, it's one where you talk about an idea, but it's in your head. And at the end of the day, the product or the business needs to be something that's like a third party. How do you, what can you do to get that out of your head onto a piece of paper, onto a PowerPoint deck, onto whatever? And even if somebody's not an artist, you can take a piece of paper and start to draw something. You're massively over, overestimating it. my drawing skills. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. No, I get it. You can actually do that. And I think that's a really powerful mind exercise because you're, you're creating it as you go. And it's another way of turning something into, into reality. I like that. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. You, you have... What's really interesting as well about your company, which is absolutely unique, and you I don't know if you're aware of this, is that you are the first people, and I've worked with a lot of startups, you are the first people who your focus on is so customer-led, it's insane. 
that the fact that there is two of you in the UK, yeah, there's a God knows how many of you abroad doing the, the stuff, but there's captain of the ship and your customer success. Talk to me about that. I mean, I, I love it, but tell me what, what led to that approach to say, I'm just going to make my customers win. And that's the answer. Shall I take the steps on my side and go yeah, leading up yeah. to? Yeah, yeah, you start. Yeah, so um, so we met at Microsoft Accelerator and great accelerator. Good year that. Yes, it was. It was good cohort. Good cohort. So we just became friends, having bumped onto one another and having a a love of good lunches. Yes, and it was a carb based relationship to begin with. Is that what it was? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I, I was the only person in the UK at, at, at that moment. So through that journey, skipping a bunch of steps from what I originally described, um, we now had an in-house tech team where there was a group in Georgia who I met through the journey who we then taken it in-house. They were part of the company we were building it. But I was the only person in the UK doing customer success and product and sales and everything else that was, that was part of it. Band. One man band with a bunch of people that weren't there. Um, but we were dealing with a really big counterparty. We were lucky in taking advantage of the opportunities that came about as a result of the journey to have a counterparty that was much bigger than one would normally have for a first customer um, type status. And very quickly I realized this was not something that I was going to be able to tackle myself. It needed to. I needed somebody that was very special that didn't have sorry, a special skill set that it, it was more about being able to make somebody else feel comfortable, have an empathy to understand the problem from their side for us to then to be able to internalize it. Because the, the thing that, that I've, I've felt throughout the journey is that people can't really tell you their problems. It's not their, it's not their problem as a customer to articulate it properly to you. So well, it's, it's, it's not their responsibility. It's not their responsibility. Yeah. So, so there's a big process of finding out this vague thing they're trying to describe, internalizing it, replaying it back, and then scratching it into a feature that we could actually build. And that was a, it's a very big overhead that, that's quite invisible in the development process. So effectively, I needed, I needed another teammate to be doing this. And this was the, to me, the most important job in the company. Because if, if we can't continue to learn as quickly as we can about what the customers actually need and to continue to build along that journey, we don't progress quickly. I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. To be that customer led is, it's absolutely inspired because so many people aren't. They're just like, I'm just going to product, 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 product. But ultimately, that's for your customers. Of course. And so you need to know what they want. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I quite like your your sales approach as well. I call it the um, <clears throat> the sexy girlfriend model, which is if you've got a guy who is pretty, I'm not calling you average, who's got a really good looking girlfriend, the girls are more attracted to that guy by terms of social proof than the guy that's got a hundred ugly ones. Yeah. And so I think it's absolutely the right way to approach it. You're thinking, what's he got? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so and then that's when you came in and then all of a sudden the company went from being an absolute failure to being a huge success. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? So like, so that's a really, I think it's such a tough thing. And it's just a, 
people sort of go in there, they're like, yeah, talk to your customers. You know, just talk to your customers, find out what their problems are. Like that is so oversimplified, that statement, isn't it? Because as you said, it's not their responsibility to tell you what their problems are. So how do you go in there and get them to to talk to you? How do you get them to trust you? And sometimes you haven't even sold to them yet, right? Yeah. You're kind of working yeah. through proof of concepts. Yeah. And they're probably thinking, well, what the fuck? Why is this person asking me what my problems are? They should be f- fixing it for me. Yeah. How do you do it? It's been a long journey. I mean, what I joined about just over a year ago. In startup terms, that's a thousand years. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a lot can change. A lot yes. can change, yeah. Completely. And I think there was, I think it was very important to understand the space first and foremost. So, in, you know, I, I knew nothing of the wealth management world when I first joined. That's right. That's the space that you're selling into that, as wealth yes. management. Correct. Yeah. So, yes. so and was it, that by design? Because you were talking about clinicians earlier, or was that by chance? So the journey was we, we built the first version for clinicians and we were meeting with one of our investors and he was having a subsequent meeting with a wealth manager who'd put money into his fund. Um, so I showed the guy the product and he kind of got this weird look on his face and asked me to come to his office in a couple of weeks. Um, went to see him and he showed us what was called a fact find, which was a 40 page document that they needed to fill out every time they took a client on. And he asked us basically. That's nuts. That's nuts. Like well, 2009 or 18. It is insane. Yeah, I, yeah. I was shocked by seeing this because, yeah. and effectively, it was the same problem that clinicians had. How do you capture information yeah. that the client is telling you in no particular order? How do you capture that digitally in a way that doesn't interfere with the meeting? So it was the same exact problem that the, that the clinicians had, only in a different space that from an incentive side, and from an incentive side, the efficiency gains would be more readily accepted. It's so brilliant because you've got like, how often do you think that happens in a startup? Like, you know, how often do you create a product that you think is for a specific purpose? And it's almost like there's this kind of like, it's weird naivety, isn't it? As a founder, like I'm making this to solve this particular problem. And you kind of either go, well, you either go super mega wide, like everyone in the world is going to want this, or you're going to be like, or, you know, when your your VCs are like saying, no, 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 tell me you're really specific people. I want to know the names of people you're selling to. And when the reality is the problems that people have tend to be across the spectrum and sector, because what you've described there, like, if I said to someone at the beginning, if, we, if we'd been chewing the fat four years ago and I said to you, who's going to have these problems? You're like, oh, well, clinicians have exactly the same problems as people at a wealth manager. No, You'd be like, you're talking smack. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's exactly. just, it's brilliant, but you, it's almost serendipitous, isn't it? It's just the fact that you put yourself out there and you're showing enough people what you do. Mm-hmm. You learn that other people have the same problems. And then that's where you come in to try and make sure you're actually solving that problem. Yeah, so it was very important to go to go out and understand our users these financial advisors and um going out to meet them has been the best thing that you know i i could have done i mean that was that was the whole purpose indeed, indeed. um and it's understanding a bit more of their world and when you know when they first saw the product you saw their their eyes light up because you could see there was a pain point that we were solving with it and just the reaction when we unveiled the product um, was incredible. And it's digging deeper into that. So great. We know it's kind of validated. Um, but 
what exactly are the things that they really want to see. And yeah, you actually, want to I want, yeah, I wanted to peel back on that for a second because it's really easy to see a startup that's somewhere along the journey and it looks like it all emerged from, from the box in a perfect package. There were so many steps in going from initially scratching it on paper to building it for clinicians to problem, 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 problem that we were discovering as what we built bumped up against reality. Yeah. And we found out all of the things that were wrong, all of the ways that we needed to adjust it, what it meant the first time we put it in front of advisor, what they didn't like, what were the unanticipated things. And it was a journey of evolution of solving those steps one at a time until such time as you're getting there. And as soon as the problem melts away, it's like it never happened. Yeah. So, I mean, one of those big moments for us was we did a a UX lab test, which was kind of really weird to go through. So it, it's this thing where you have a, a moderator and they take your product, they're showing it to the client in a separate room. You're not there. You're seeing you're seeing through this one-way glass and somebody's using it. Wait, 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 Brian, are you telling me a story about when you got arrested? <laughs> <laughs> and Jenny and I uh, watching. That's, yes. a, whole That's yeah. a whole different story. That's a whole different story. So you're watching people use it, and you're watching the other side. I must. I can't imagine how exposing that is. It was like putting your baby on X Factor, where you're like, "This is this is my toddler. I've worked so." And yeah, so, just as a rule of thumb, don't put babies on X Factor. <laughs> like, that's a dream breaker right there. <laughs> so it was it was horrible, but it, it made everything. It probably advanced the six months in two days. I bet. I bet it did. And, and so some of the ideas, like, uh, oh, I'd like to be able to to use a, a pencil and write and have that converted to yeah. text. So people's offhand comments like this, you know, I remember looking at one of the developers and we're like, holy crap, this is amazing. It's what a great idea. Yeah. And that actually changed the product. Don't say that too loud because that, that person might want some equity now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I think, you know, that's, that's genuinely best practice, isn't it? And I think you guys have nailed it. Like that thing of, it's so, it, it takes a lot of courage, right? Because to put your, it's very easy to say like, no, 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 this product's really good. I don't want to show anyone to it. It's like Jenny thinks she's the best singer in the world, but she only does it at home. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know. In the but, shower. In the sh exactly, yeah. yeah. But putting yourself out there and saying like, actually, I want people to, to test this for me and tell me if I've got this wrong, but then having the, the not only the, well, the courage to do that, but then changing it. I'm going to be even more aggressive than that. You're wrong. Your product is wrong. Okay, for you and me. No, okay, I, mean, I, accept, <laughs> I accept I probably am. <laughs> no, I mean, your product is wrong. There, There is a bunch of stuff which is wrong with your product. And the sooner you find out what is wrong with it and fix it, the better. So rather than like being afraid of showing it to people, when them, them telling you or you seeing what reality is in terms of how your product is interacting with it is moving you along the journey. That's a great statement. I love that. Just start from the position assuming that you're wrong. You're, you're wrong. I you, love you are that. definitely, definitely wrong. I love that. I there love is that. no perfect product. In, if you're not looking back every six months and saying, I was an idiot. How did I not see this? You're not moving fast yes, enough. That makes absolute sense. Mm. So you you guys are well tapped into the startup community here in London. I mean, you've worked for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, all right, okay. And you know everyone. And I know we're all in the same network of this, the same people. Like... I'm always interested to know what are you, and also particularly interesting because you guys are going through funding right now, right? You're mm. going through that that piece, which is the one of the hardest things that startups have to go through 
is that that process because as you know it is a full-time job getting that going yeah. what have you what have you what have you you're giggling because you know right it's tough kids yeah, yeah. it sucks man it, it really sucks. does it really is not fun. but it's necessary it's necessary and you guys absolutely for what you're doing it definitely is what have you learned right? what's changing now how is it different now because like, you've been in this startup game for what i mean you're Old, old enough to old enough to, to it in a while. while. <laughs> but like, what's changing? What's happening right now in the market for for people who are about to move into this game? What what is different now than was different, you know, three to five years ago? It's a really hard question to answer because, in a way, you know, you I'm moving along the journey, but the market itself is changing, and it's hard to tell yeah. whether I'm just in a different space now than than what was available previously. Yeah, um, sure. I, it seems like there's more of an ecosystem. There's more accelerators. There's yes. more. Do you recommend accelerators? Like for you, I guess because you've been on a couple, right? You've been two companies in, this, in an accelerator. Like, would you, do you think they help? What do you, because I, I don't, mm. it's it's tough to know, right? Like, yeah. what, what are people trying to get out of it? And sometimes it feels like just a showcase for investors, you know, and they're just preparing a pitch deck for three months. You know, it's um, whereas other times you feel like they're really trying to partner you up with people, but or they're just trying to get you to use their tech. You know, like it's it's yeah. a tough it's a tough call. What do you do? Do you, I'm asking you guys? To me, if we are starting from zero right now, would I would I join an accelerator? That's the question. Personally, I wouldn't because I've learned the lessons that I anticipate that I would get through an accelerator. Yeah, but. I think there is a value in being around other startups and other people around the community. But like with anything, you get out what you put in, in a sense. Yeah, I think who right. you meet, who the who the advisors are, what you do, what things you attend, what lessons can you see if you can get exposed to startups that are further along the journey, and how do you internalize that? Looking at the good and the bad and accelerating that pace of understanding what you're doing wrong. Yeah, I like that. And you, um, and obviously you'd recommend them because that's how you met Jenny. So that's <laughs> but You know what, I think that is one of the biggest, um, one of the best things about accelerators is that community and growing that network within, you know, I, I don't like to use the word too much, like like-minded, but it's, yeah. it's it's like that. It's it's people who are in the same boat as you and, uh, yeah, like 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 you said, we we met each other through that, and mm -hmm. I met a, a lot of different people who uh, it's great to be part of this this whole community. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing I from personal experience, the thing I found most valuable was of course meeting people like yourselves, and but also like <clears throat> horribly seeing people fail. Yeah, seeing people yeah. fail and yeah. and sort of think yourself, I kind of get why, you know, like I'm not going to make that mistake as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, and I think we all know what the common pitfalls are. So. Comes to the point in the show now where you guys have been a great success, okay? And you've done exactly what we believe in here. Like you, you, you Jenny, you've like, you are, you're doing it. Like you are, you have backed yourself mm -hmm. to go and be a success in something that may not be, yes, <laughs> but yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you are a serial self-backer, <laughs> which I, which yes, I, which yes. I love, I love. <laughs> so what did you, so we have two bits of advice that I loved here. So say, there's someone right now who've just had that conversation with themselves. They just started that sentence. Wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be better if, okay? For you, what would you say to that person? And for you, what would you say to someone who hasn't necessarily had that idea themselves, but is looking for someone who has? Yeah? Go. 
So effectively, how to how to start from nothing, how to start from the blank slate. What do you do next? They've just had the idea. What do they do? In a sense, it's up to you to make something happen. So that like next step, whether it's you can draw it on a piece of paper, whether you can write down your thoughts and start to think about how you could sell it, whether you can think about it from a marketing perspective, when you think about it from a partnership perspective, whether you know anybody who might be around the periphery of the type of industry you're going in, there is a next step you can take. And it, it's taking those next steps and learning as quickly as you can about what you don't know. Yeah. So you need to be comfortable to be uncomfortable and every day thinking up, how can I how can I take another step to move this forward? Because you don't know where that's going to lead. And at the end of the day, it only comes down to you to move it forward. There's no grandfather figure like in the movie that's going to come and give you the guide you along the yeah. way. Because a lot of times you're into area that nobody else knows. That's how you, you become, innovate, right? You become yeah. the world expert at yeah. this bizarre particular problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, no, I love that. And slightly rephrasing it for you, Jenny, what mm. is the... How do you how do you know you're making a good bet for someone who's going? Someone's about to go and do that, and they think like I'm in this. Everyone knows that. if you're going to find a startup, mm. there are a million ways you can meet startups. Okay, I don't yep. want to go into that. But how do you, as an employee, how do you pick the right horse? It's a very good question because you've um, done it twice. <laughs> yes, and you know what? It's I've learned some things um, along the journey so far. Um, I think it's, I mean, again, you'll never know. Um, but well, hopefully one day you'll know. Well, <laughs> it's, you'll see it as in when you're first meeting a startup. I think it's very important to understand what you want out of it. Great. That's that's the first thing to to really understand because from that you will then, when you meet the people who are part of the team, you can see how you'd be able to work with them or yeah. whether you can see it if it will work or not. And I think just before I joined Brian, it, that was a question that was going through my mind. And that's why I ultimately joined Digital Clipboard because... She didn't make it easy. <laughs> she certainly challenges you. She didn't at, come by her I own was, will. <laughs> is, uh, she's been kidnapped. I was looking at opportunities. Well, the, I think what was great about how Brian approached it was... He knew what he was looking for. Um, there was a specific role, and essentially, he, he, you know, it was, we didn't know too much about how this would go, like in terms of the role, and we knew customer success would be an important role, but I guess we both weren't as experienced in it, yeah. In, yeah. In, in what it was and how we'd go about it. And, but he had a vision of it. And we sat down and I think it was over coffee, we, we discussed exactly what he wanted um, someone to come in and do. And I really liked the way, the way Brian works. Um, I, could, I could start picturing what it would be like to work um, with him. And you turn imagination into reality. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think that was what was so different. And um, and to be honest, I do believe I've I've, I've taken the the right route. I love that. So it, it was much more about the person, yeah, yeah. And, and believing in their vision and yeah. trusting them to to right, yeah. be the right captain of that ship. 
I love that. Guys, you have actually blown my mind. It's been really good. And thank you so much for coming on. And um, I know something big happening soon and wish you best of luck with it. So thank you. Thanks very for coming. Much. Perfect. Pleasure to have you. Done. Shall we sing? 